years and got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? God, they were great. Made my job cake. Danny, I did the press for all of their movies, all nine. Six of them did over a hundred million dollars. Yep. They were on top of the world. And then she had to go and blow it by taking up with that Spaniard. Did you cut this yourself? Well, no, Chad and Mark. Oh, oh, always take credit. That is survival rule number one. Okay, yes, I did it on my Mac. Rule number two, don't take credit until someone actually says they like what you did. It's not bad. You want me to say I'm impotent? Infertile. Big difference. Focus on what really matters. The brand. Somebody's getting fired! Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I have finally binge-watched the entire shameless U.S. version. Hi, I'm Shoot the Breeze. Um, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you are. I am Mr. Shoot the Breeze. Hi, I'm producer Dave. Uh, I haven't watched the US version at all. Uh, I have watched most of the UK version, and it's 11 series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of the UK version. And it's the same. I think they've mirrored it over in the States, um, changing things, obviously, to suit them. But yeah. See, and so, okay. So, I, it, I mean, it took me, I'd say, about a month to binge watch all 11 seasons of the US version, right? Um, I'm wondering, do I jump in? And everyone I've, everyone I've mentioned to it, I say, oh, I've, I've just been watching Shameless. And the first question is, oh, US or UK? And I'm like, US. And they're like, have you watched the UK version yet? And I'm like, well, not yet, I will. But you've started watching the UK version and you haven't watched the US version yet. Would you recommend I jump in and watch the UK version? Oh God, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. All right. So it's okay. You know what? Okay. okay. I did say I was going to do it, so I will. Um, and I, I, I've been speaking to a number of people, uh, especially uh, in the US, asking them if they've seen it. And that they're the ones who keep on asking, have I seen the UK version? Because they seem to prefer the UK uh, version to the US version. But that's pretty much the same with every TV show that goes from UK to US. There are very few shows that make that transition and actually are successful. The Office was one of them that was successful. Um, Ghosts is another one that is, uh, it, I mean, it hasn't really hit hit major success yet, but they're considering the US version successful. Ghosts is a TV show from on BBC. Um, terrific, terrific UK version from the, the, the guys who brought you horrible histories and a whole bunch of stuff like that. They're a terrific team. And I love the UK version. The US did a version very similar. I watched the Ghosts US version. I watched the whole season that is out already. I think season two is coming out pretty soon. And it took me halfway through the season 
for me to stop going, the UK version is better. The UK version is better. And then it got to like season seven. I was like, okay, fine. I'm all right watching the US version, but I hate this particular <laughs> character. He's terrible. The UK version of this character is much better. And then three episodes in, I was like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll let him. I'll let him go. It's it's an okay. It's an okay show. Um, but yeah, so so I will dive into the UK version of Shameless, and I, I will start to binge watch that and see how far I get along. Uh, but at the moment, I'm I'm now fully caught up with Secret Invasion, the Marvel, the MCU uh, TV show, Secret Invasion. Producer David, have you seen Secret Invasion? Nope. So we can't talk about it. Okay. All right. <laughs> I have thoughts. I have thoughts. I want to talk to someone about it. Yes, I know. But uh, have to wait. All right, we'll wait. wait. We'll wait. Um, so, but try and watch it soon, so we can we can we can talk about it. So it'll be good. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm producer Dave. And we've got two great interviews uh, on our show today. We have our interview with Chris Natali, who is a filmmaker who is working on uh, Bryn Hammond, friend of the show, Bryn Hammond's new streaming service, uh, Miami Fox Streaming. He's going to be talking to us about fan films and fan fiction uh, programming. Um, he's. We definitely want to get Chris back on so we can start talking a lot more about different. Uh, you'll hear from the interview. Get definitely getting back in. We're also going to be talking with uh, PR guru Flick Morris of Flick Morris PR. Uh, she has been responsible for a lot of our comedy interviewees. So Jay West, uh, um, Tom Ward and a whole bunch of other comedians who've come on the show. We have a great conversation with her about what it's, it is to be in PR for live entertainment and comedy and stand-up. Now, we'll definitely bring her back on. She'll give us some tips on how we can get our show to be a lot more you know, visible out there. I know we, we, we're not her type of client, but hey, we'll see. You know, we'll learn from her, learn from the experts to get ourselves a wider reach. But before that, let's jump into film and TV news. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko, and we... And that I could have left a pause for producer Dave, who has experienced some technical issues, and uh, he he's being held hostage on this uh, on this interview that we have here. So we're going to be uh, making fun of him because he can't come back, which is great. So it's excellent. He will be he'll he'll have to sit and take it and listen to it while we have while we interview our guest uh, on the show today, who is a filmmaker who's going to be appearing on a platform uh, with one of our friends, with Bryn. Talk a little, a lot about the projects that is going to be happening on the streaming service, which Bryn has been talking about for the last few weeks. Uh, but let us jump to our guest of the moment. Please introduce yourself and tell us, first of all, how you met Bryn. Hey, Marcus. My name is Chris Notarilli of Blinky Productions, and I am a filmmaker. I met Bryn in the weirdest way. I received an email uh, about a week ago from um, this random website called Miami Fox Streaming. And they're like, hey, we like your uh, Kruger series. Can we put it on your uh, on our streaming service? And I'm like, OK, sure. Why not? 
And so um, they're like, all right, cool. Um, we're going to put you in touch with Bryn. I'm like, okay, great. Who the hell's Bryn? And I get, yeah. I get so a WhatsApp. What, just as you started out where you said you, you, you got introduced to Bryn in the weirdest way. It's literally every single person that's met Bryn will always start off with, I've met Bryn in the weirdest way. Same yeah. thing with us. We, we From the very first moment he came into our studios and interviewed with us, uh, he has been one of my favorite guests because every time Bryn is in the room, it, it's it's just it goes off the rails so quickly. And yeah. So, uh, but this is but uh, so he he picks his his people reached out to you to get mm -hmm. your series on his streaming service. You said Freddy Krueger uh, series, is that correct? Yeah, I did a a web series called Krueger Tales from Elm Street which is basically it chronicles Freddy Krueger when he was alive before he gets killed. And then we have uh, one or two episodes that take place post-mortem when he's a dream demon. But we really deal with the the mythos of the Springwood slasher where he's murdering children. Because I always found it funny. Everyone's like, oh my God, Freddy Krueger's so sexy. And they're like these fans who are aroused and, and sexually attracted to Freddy. I go, he's a child murderer. He murders children. Oh, you don't believe me? I'm going to film it. And we film it. It's, he, he graphically like just disembowels children, actual children, not teenagers in my web series. People still are like, oh, yeah, Freddie's so sexy. I go, you people are weird. So so is that so is that what drew you to um, to the concept of actually making this film to show more about Freddy Krueger, the character Freddy Krueger? Um, because of the reaction you saw from fans, when which that showed because I'm I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've never met a single fan who has uttered the words Freddy Krueger is sexy. Not even in not not even in the weirdest clubs that I go. I think to. they're in America, dude. They're in America. Oh, fair enough. Okay, <laughs> that that makes perfect sense. So tell us where. So uh, was this the, the impetus that made you make this web series? All right. So this started, I think, as far back as. I want to say 2010 I was with my ex uh we, we were thinking about like you know what's something we can make I was like what if we did like a prequel series you know you know Freddie Jason Michael and we like told their origin stories the stuff that wasn't seen yet in any of uh the films so I wanted to basically explore that and the first one was Freddie and I'm like all right well We've only really seen Freddy as a human in, what was it, uh, Freddy's Dead, where you see those flashback scenes in part six. And yeah. then there was the um, the the courthouse episode in um, the TV series. And then that was kind of it. And then in Freddy vs. Jason, there was the opening Lynch scene. But no time was actually dedicated to who he was. So it was around 2010 and um, we were just thinking, we were thinking and like, all right, we'll get back to it. And then I started writing, I think it was, I, I started writing the Kruger uh, episode where it's the interrogation. That was the idea. I go, oh, cool. What if we did Freddy the day he gets arrested? Okay. Very a la, you know, Dark Knight, Batman and yeah, cool. um, uh, the Joker at the table type thing. What would Freddie be like in front of Don Thompson if he was being interrogated? And based off of all the evidence that was provided from, you know, the movies, they didn't have anything on him. And they wanted to get that confession because Freddie gets off in a technicality, but they never explained what it was. I go, I'm like, well, what could it be? I'm like, oh, what if, what if they didn't have a search warrant and they needed a confession out of him? So that was that. So it was, it came down to how could 
Freddy, when he's incarcerated, still be a real monster and just destroy another human being in front of him with only his words. And that was where the whole idea came from, that this guy is smart, is is is, is sadistic and, and vicious. But at the same time, he is, you know, uh, he's only human. And we wanted to go with that. So we, we did that one episode and it went well. And then I did one for Michael Myers, where you see him um, the night that in 1963, where he becomes Michael Myers and kills Judith. So we see what leads up to that. And then I did one with Pamela Voorhees which was alluded to at the first Friday the 13th movie, and we kind of just see the day she develops the Jason persona. Yeah, that's a very interesting take because um, a, a lot of, because as you've been, you're focusing on a lot of famous serial killers in, well, uh, fictional serial killers. You talk about Freddy, talk about Mike Myers. Um, it, if people were following the franchises, they would go with Jason Voorhees, which is the, you know, the, the character that follows from the second film going forwards. Uh, but the killer in the original film, spoiler alert, was actually his mother. So it's very interesting that you took the you sort of took a side path rather than going with the the popular character of Jason Voorhees. You went with the mother instead. So that's what you focused in on with that episode. Yeah, the idea is that there's this huge sandbox that never gets played in in a lot of these uh, slasher icons because um, you know with Freddy. No one wants to really deal with him as a human being. They just want to do the dream demon stuff with Jason. It's they want to deal with Jason. No one cares about Pamela. And then with Michael, it's always who else is related to Laurie Strode or, um, you know, now this new timeline. I don't know what the hell they're doing, but I was like, you know, I want to do what hasn't been done before. And that's the thing. When I make a movie, whether it's a fan film or an original, I really want to do something that hasn't been done before, even if I'm dealing with something that people are familiar with. I want to be subversive and I want to approach it from a, a fresh perspective. So yeah, coming in it with the, the Springwood slasher angle and as well as, you know, a Pamela Voorhees angle and Michael, when he was just a boy becoming possessed and everything I felt had never really been tackled before. And you can really put a lot of emotion behind these things. Like knowing that Michael Myers and Judith had a wonderful relationship as siblings knowing that he's going to kill her. And, oh my God, she was so sweet to him rather than in like Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh, Judith is a mean sister and yeah. uh, uh, Deborah Myers or whatever her name was, uh, was a, a stripper and uh, they had a white trash you know, stepdad and all that crap. How about it was a functional family and it's just really tragic that one day Michael just snapped and we don't know why. That's a good good uh, approach to 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 take you sort of repurposing the origin story to look from that particular angle. Uh, but I listen- don't take it into a um a Star Wars level where, for example, with Anakin Skywalker, we 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 deconstructed him to death so that there was nothing good about him. I don't want to like for my Myers one. I don't want to explain why. He became the way he was. I want to show how he got there, still leaving that aura, that mystery of well, what the f- was it? We don't know. That way you don't detract from the original. A good a good fan film never screws with the continuity of the original. You should be able to watch the original and then the fan film more than the fan film and then the original. And they should have seamless connections that you could consider it as canon. That's a good point. The fact that because and and I want to touch upon the fact that you, you as you brought it in, um, just to elaborate, this is a fan fiction of the original property of the IP, original IP, 
because it's it's not uh, looking when you talk about Wes Craven. You're not talking. About, sorry, you're talking about Freddy Krueger. You're not. You're not looking at the. You are looking at those characters in particular, but you're not working in conjunction with Wes Craven and with John Carpenter, etc. Right. Because the fan fiction of those established uh, pieces. Now, uh, a lot of people who are listening most likely will understand the idea of a fan fiction, um, but just help us explain from you uh, as a creator of fan fiction, uh, what is what is this industry of fan fiction? How do we get into it? How is it that you don't have the establishment ripping down your projects, even though you're basing your story and your work on them? That's interesting that you put it that way. Um, all right, so doing a fan film, a fan fiction is actually really freeing because you're not dealing with studio mandates. You're not dealing with anybody except yourself. And essentially, you're making it for either the approval of the creators um, or the, the 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 fan base, because why else would you want to do it? It's very rare that you're going to you know make something and say, screw everybody, this is my own thing. Because if you have that concept, that mentality, just do your own thing, dude. Why, why even bother doing a fan film at all if you're not trying to appease you know uh, uh those those that be so for me when i do this i want to make something that the audience when they watch it will message me and say this is what it should have been this is official in my book i will watch this and then the the series and i will not and the best the best compliment ever is when i do something that negates bad sequels and they go the sequels this is the sequel this is how it should have ended this is what i want to see more of this i don't care about anything else because this in my opinion is better and you know it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work to be able to pull it off but when you do it's very satisfying i've had a lot of you know people message me about the krugers and my other stuff like i did a, a terminator fan film that ends the franchise just straight up we we terminate the franchise and people have come and watched it and go, this is how Terminator should have ended. I don't need any of the sequels. It's one, it's two, and then it's this. Um, I totally agree with what you're saying about with regards to the fan fiction or fan films. Because, again, when people start talking about fan films, there is, because of usually the low-budget aspect, there is a lot of negativity that's spun towards it. But that's, that is not always the case, as you mentioned with that. Um, and in fact, we even had someone on uh, a few months ago, Stephen Trumbull, who did Batman Broken Promise, which is an animated fan fiction uh, or fan film. I think I've it, seen that one. It's fantastic. It is, it, it is so good. It could easily be canon. And nobody could tell the difference because of the imagery, the the story itself, the sound quality, the the animation. The, it's just I I can't stop. Every time I have the opportunity to talk about it, I take that opportunity to talk about it. It's Batman Broken Promise. It's on YouTube. You can watch it for free. Uh, here, here's an interesting thing. You know, budgets are not necessarily or lack thereof are not necessarily a bad thing. A lack of budget promotes creativity. I am making a lot of these fan films for, you know, maybe a couple of hundred bucks. But as long as you are able to utilize the resources around you, you know, you could really fool a lot of people. Like we did do um, an episode where uh, we see Freddy Krueger become Freddy Krueger. And the makeup we did was just latex and cotton swabs applied to his face. But 
if you light it just right, if you build enough, and my actor, it, it kind of helped that he did look a lot like Robert England. Um, but if you do it the right way, no one can really tell. They'll be like, okay, well, it's a lower budget, but this, I could believe, I could suspend my disbelief long enough to watch this and not go, oh, this is just a fan film. I could watch this and go, okay, I want this, this, this actually, this works. This is a proof of concept or something, you know? And we're absolutely happy. We look, we look forward to watching the series, which is going to be on Miami Fox streaming. As you said, you're gonna you, you're having that on there. Um, and I just in in preparation for this particular episode, I looked into some of your work, and uh, you you with the exception of a couple of uh, a couple of projects here and there, you seem to focus a lot on the horror side of things when you're doing your fan films. So you've done fan films about you just talked about um about freddy krueger you mentioned uh i've done Mark. all of them almost i've done freddy jason michael Candyman. uh Candy Leatherface was included in one of mine tiffany and chucky and there's a scream there's scream one that you there's a scream on. fan film yeah that took a while to do because everyone was always telling me hey you should do a scream fan film and i'd be like why he's it's not one person it's a ton of people and it gets repetitive after a while but then i realized oh that's the point that it could be anyone. And then I finally came up with a really good idea for a scream fan film. I see. I would always want to do a fan film uh, on, on a very well-known IP. However, focus on a character that is always in the background. That's for me, that's what, what I would do. I would do where it's always a case where the character is always, it's just sort of the main action, what you've seen in the movies is always happening like behind, behind in the background of what's going on. And the main character is just grabbing a cup of coffee and just taking a walk and just happens to say, what's going on over there? Oh, shoot, I dropped something. And it's complete. So that way you can allude to what's happening that people have already seen. And they had think- a show like that. Um, it was a DC show. And um, Alex Tudyk was the main character, and he was actually like Bruce yeah. Wayne's cousin. And that's it was they're baby. like a, yeah. an insurance company that's dealing with all the superhero damage. Yes, I remember that one. I remember that one in particular. Uh, uh, Producer Davis asked, "What about uh, going more to the supernatural, like Dracula and uh, and vampires?" And I have a Frankenstein movie I made, a short okay. film. Now, in that one, it's called The Weary Traveler, in which we. Um, it's a sequel to the book. So we had the literary version of uh, Frankenstein's monster. And basically in that one, Renfield yeah. uh, seeks him out in the mountains, finds him a hundred years later. And he's trying to coax him back into civilization because Dracula wants Frankenstein's diary for, you know, various purposes. And of course the monster in my feature script, the short film just ends when him realizing your master go f- yourself and he beats the shit out of Renfield and <laughs> please but in the feature we come to find out that Dracula wants the the diary for uh specific reasons and the monster's like no one can have this but I'm I'm too scared to burn it because it's the only thing I have that's me basically you know that's that sounds amazing um it's cool when- and I also have I mean spoiler alert, I have cameos from Jekyll and Hyde and Jack the Ripper See, obviously, um, was it Universal wanted to do their own um, dark universe? Yeah, dark universe where they where they started it, and basically they they tripped up and fell at the very first hurdle with Tom Cruise and the Mummy. Bringing in these monsters into the 21st century is not a good idea, in my opinion. 
Uh, I've yet to see it be done successfully, and I don't think it works. I think they work best as 16th, 17th, and 18th century creatures, you know? Um. Okay, yeah, there's there's room to be argued about that. Obviously, yeah. I mean, like some some characters can adapt, like like Dracula, for example, can adapt into modern times. But when you want to do the Bela Lugosi Dracula, yes, I do not see Bela Lugosi frequenting a club as a, as a vampire going. I want to bring you back to my place. You know, it doesn't oh, work. <laughs> of course, of course, and that's the thing. So you you can't you can't stick with the with the you know the original conventions of those monsters. Correct. If you want to make a modern day. A dark universe so things like dracula i'll give you an example the reason why i backed up a little, little bit was because yeah fair enough i saw wolfman with benicio del toro that was set in the in the past it had its issues but i thought it was okay um the um luke evans dracula it i if i if i'm not mistaken i believe it ends in present day with him he was great as dracula um and i think they could have carried on with that and then the invisible it was the invisible man that was a good one invisible man works because they switched it into a into technology absolutely and that's what i mean that's why i was saying if it's a situation whereby they just need to do they they if they're going to update it for modern audiences they need to do a whole overall they can't do bella lugosi dracula yes they're trying to do that with the money, but the problem was, and I'm going to say this, Tom Cruise's ego was what ruined that film. Absolutely, because, absolutely. And uh, shoehorning in uh, Russell Crowe. Exactly. And so you have Jekyll and Hyde, who's a perfect, it, it, it's a perfect uh, uh, bottle to have an actor go in and just, just be massively terrific at displaying the the split between Dr. Jekyll, who is thirsting for knowledge and is uh, the, is the, the hazards of him going after something that he shouldn't be doing, and then that creating this monster that's now out that he now needs to fight and so on. Having an actor of great quality just being able to take that and play with it. And just off the top of my head, I'm thinking Mark Rylance would destroy that role. Um, where you he could have he could bring both the he could bring the pathos of the character of the of the intelligent character and then when he switches to 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 hide the monster again he can deliver you've seen him do big you know uh, bfg yeah it's animation and whatnot and it's a child stuff but you take bfg and you make that hor- horrific mark Rylance they kind of did that with uh, jekyll and hyde in league of extraordinary gentlemen where he yeah. kind of hulked out in the movie yes um, it, it, in that one, it was very small because there was at the very beginning, if I if I remember correctly, right? So, oh, he no, no. out. He he got huge uh, uh, at some point where he was like bulking. No, you no, know? you're right. You're you're right. Sorry, I I was thinking I was thinking of um I was thinking of Van Helsing because in Van, <laughs> Helsing, in Van Helsing he chases he he chases and kills um uh, Hyde at the very beginning of the movie. So I confused that. Yeah, but, but you're right. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes, absolutely. Perfect portrayal of that particular character, which could have been done if they had gotten their egos, if they'd gotten away with their I'll, I'll admit, I definitely used that version of Jekyll and Hyde as the source inspiration for what I want to do with the character in my Frankenstein movie. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be fantastic. Um, yeah. and, but your projects now are going to be on Miami streaming. So we're going to be, we'll, we'll talk a lot more in the next few weeks about that drive people to it. Just before we do that, you mentioned that you have a web, your web series on, you have a YouTube channel. Yes, it's Blinky 500. 
Blinky 500. Uh, how do you pronounce your last name again? Notarily. 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 Chris, Notorilli. Yes, it's Italian. Chris, thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze to talk about your your projects. Producer Dave has thrown in a question where he says, would you consider doing a fan fan flick that picks up from American Werewolf in London? So let's discount American Werewolf in Paris. Let's say, do you, would you do American Werewolf in London, the continuation? If I had money, absolutely. The transformations are what gets you, you know, because... You want to do that shit right. And there's no way I can pull that one off. The closest I'll be able to get is how they did it in um, like the 70s movies where like you cross dissolve to the yeah. guy with like more hair on his face. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> oh, every time you keep cutting, you keep cutting. Yeah, you just cut away. Hair. And then like he's got more hair just glued to his face. I don't want to do that. <laughs> but that would be hilarious. You see, that would be that would do. That would be what I would do, right? Where it's like you cut, you come back to him, it's just patches of hair, and then you come back to your reaction shot. Then when you come back to him, you can blatantly see it's a completely different person that's yeah. there with more patches of hair on himself, just b- bigger body and whatnot. See, that's why they won't let me do stuff. And then the like- final shot, I'm gonna just have a dog run in the shot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just have it there. But now, if I ever did a werewolf movie, I'd really want to go all out and make it. And I want to do practical, obviously, but I want to have a real hulking figure, you know, that that snarling. I want that thing to feel like a xenomorph, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. I love I love how drooling the xenomorph was. And I think if we can achieve that effect with a werewolf, then it's definitely something I'd want to do. Excellent. And we look forward to that project and look forward to all of your other projects streaming on Miami Fox streaming. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. We will definitely want you to come back on the show. We'll have long, longer conversations because and when producer Dave obviously can get his microphone sorted and then we can obviously we can we can do a whole episode, whole hour where we talk to you about horror and coming pretty much coming soon. Obviously, Halloween's on its way. So we can reach out to you and do this again. Uh, in more detail. Thank you for having me, guys. That was our conversation with Chris Natali. Uh, we're going to jump straight into the next segment, which is Spotlight. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And with us today, uh, this person has been responsible for the flurry of interviewees that we've had. The, all the various comedians that have been coming on to the show has been as a result of this person, public relations. We're going to get them to introduce themselves and to explain for us what public relations means. So please tell us your name and what does it mean to be in public relations? Hello, hi, nice to nice to be chatting to you. Um, I am Flick Morris um, and I do, I do comedy PR specifically. So it's, a, it's an odd one because actually, obviously there are so many jobs in, in public relations or, you know, working as a publicist. I I haven't come into this from that direction. I have I, I studied theatre and I came in it from wanting to work in in live entertainment, theatre, comedy, and I kind of fell into doing the PR side of that. I don't have like I don't have a public relations 
degree. Um, for example, I'm not going to go and work on issues based stuff. Oh, what does it mean? What do I? <laughs> what do I do? Just what, what, while you're processing uh, how you to describe what your career is, I want to just I want to point uh, as you mentioned, it's like you're coming from the comedy from the live entertainment point of view, which is is funny because my first ever real interaction or knowledge of that side of the business was from the movie American Sweethearts. Uh, this is a film from like the early 2000s. I don't know. Have you seen the film American Sweethearts? I've definitely seen it, but a long time ago. And as you were sure. saying, who was in it, I was like, yes, I've definitely seen this. For those who don't remember what the film is, it, it's it's about John Cusack and uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. That they're the main uh, the main draw of the movie, obviously, because uh, they are this big power Hollywood couple. Um, who kind of like Brad and Angelina, Brad and Angelina, or Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez? That's kind of what they were mimicking at the time. And they obviously do a lot of movies together. Whenever they do a movie together, it, it's a smash success because everyone wants to see the American sweethearts. But then they're going through a divorce, and they have to promote their very last movie together. And you're following Billy Crystal and his new protege, played by Seth Green, and he is—they're the publicists that are working. Uh, to promote the movie, the movie, and to keep these two together, while John Cusack is having a budding relationship with Catherine Zeta-Jones's sister, played by Julia Roberts, um, who's kind of like the the girl on the side, who's her sister's makeup artist and help and dog's body, if you will. So it's me learning about PR, especially in entertainment, came from that, from the key tips that Billy Crystal uh, was giving to his protege. Now, are you, I know it's been a while since you've seen it. In is how real, how realistic is that portrayal of the entertainment PR in 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 your context? From what you, I, I don't remember the specific tips, but in terms of um, kind of keeping up that that pretense, I'm sure that that happens in in yeah in that kind of Hollywood you know world. It's not something that I have to deal with in comedy. Um, you know, it it it's far more truthful what I do. Like. I take on clients because I love what they do. Um, I don't have to pretend that they're something they're not. You know, I'm my my job is just to to communicate what they do. Um, you know, I mean, uh, for example, like we're we're obviously we're in the run up to the Edinburgh Fringe at the moment. There are over three thousand shows. It's so difficult for anyone to decide what they're going to go and see, whether that's as an audience member or as a reviewer or or a, a producer a booker, anyone who's going to the fringe to trawl through those 3,000 shows and try and find out what they're actually going to want to see. It's just so, so hard. So my job is to make that easy, to go, look, these shows are good. I can give you, like, here's the top line. This is why you should be interested in them and just just make that process easier for, for some people. It's more about knowing knowing what I'm talking about and uh, and communicating that effectively rather than making anything up. Of course, your job, the way you've described it, someone may listen to that and may think, oh, it's easy. It's just printing some flyers and whatnot. But it's not, right? Because essentially, you you just described it as well. Just focusing on Edinburgh Fringe, there are over 10,000 performers who will go to that festival, and they're all struggling for everyone's attention. And your, your job essentially is to make your clients stand out out of that 10,000. For people who are interested in either going into PR or wanting to do their own PR, what kind of tips can you give to a performer, an artist, to be able to stand out of the crowd? 
I think in terms of press, it's knowing what makes you and your show different to everything else that's on. It's not going to appeal to everyone. What you want to do is highlight the things that are going to make it appeal to the right audiences Um, and just and just being really upfront about about what those things are. And that's the same whether you're flyering someone, whether you're talking to someone on the street or whether you're emailing a a reviewer to invite them to come to your show, Um, you know, be really clear don't expect them to know anything about you you know tell them what it is is it is it stand-up sketch musical comedy what are the themes are you talking about toxic masculinity are you talking about relationships feminism like what yeah what what is this show about then you trust that you know if you get the the right information across that the right people will come the difference between doing it yourself and hiring a publicist is obviously with the three thousand shows any press up there are getting like their inboxes are just flooded hundreds and hundreds of emails a day they're having a really hard time filtering through even those press releases so the difference is if you do hire a publicist if you want to make a big splash up there you know there are only a handful of people that do kind of focus on comedy PR in the way that I do comedy journalists know us they will look at our emails they will talk to us so there's that kind of you know you're knowing that you're getting that information in front of those people speaking of someone who has has done projects both where uh, I need to do my own PR as well as I've hired a publicist. I can tell I can tell you it is there's a lot of weight taken off of your shoulders, handing it off to somebody who is more experienced and uh, tied in to that, uh, that that area to be able to get that job that job done. So you as the artist, you as a performer, can focus on what it is you need to do. You don't have to focus about getting people to come see your show because somebody talented enough is going to be dealing with that. And as you said, you pointed out one thing in particular, which is the journalists opening up your email. If you're not in the in the know, you have that personal connection. If I send an email to a journalist saying, hey, come and review my show or come and watch my show, they're less likely to look at my email and respond to it versus you sending them an email because they recognize you. They know who you are. They know that you are a serious person in the industry. And as such, you would be supporting serious people and they're more likely to go to those people's shows. Is that pretty much? uh, Is that? Yeah, exactly. And I know, you know, there's obviously there's, there's a, there's a much, there's a huge conversation that to be had about the pros and cons about, PR and our involvement um, and I understand all of that and that kind of you know paying to to be seen in that way but you know I have I mean I've been I've been doing <laughs> I've been doing PR since 2007 um, for comedy so I've spent a lot of years now you know building up those relationships so that journalists know that if I'm recommending something to them it's because I genuinely believe that they will like it I never want to send anyone to something that they won't like whereas if you're anyone that's involved in the making of a project, obviously they 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 want everyone to come. They think everyone, you know, they hope everyone will like it. And I'm I I do a lot of kind of matchmaking um, to kind of yeah make sure that that the people I'm sending in are actually going to like those shows. Uh, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we are with Flick Morris from Flick Morris PR, uh, the public relations uh, guru who has been sending us a lot of comedians and uh, and shows who've been coming on to, to, we've been interviewing about Edinburgh Fringe and their various tours that are going on. Um, uh, Flick, you've now been, you've been telling us one of the areas with regards to how to get into PR or rather what to expect when dealing with a publicist. Um, and I don't I don't know if I asked you this question earlier. How did you get into this line of work? 
So I, um, I actually, I studied theatre at university and I wanted to go into production. Um, and my, I had, my cousin actually worked for a West End producer when I was at university um, and she had got that job through working at the Edinburgh Fringe. So she said, that's what you need to do. Go to the Fringe, you'll meet everyone. And, you know, you can start sort of having those conversations and put yourself in, in, the, in that world. Um, so I went to work at the Pleasance uh, for one of my summers while I was at uni, uh, did box office, had an amazing time. I saw about 90 shows while working nine hours a day. Um, it was really full on and I just had the best time ever. Um, I went, da- went back, finished my final year. Um, and then that next year when I graduated, I they invited me back and I said, I do want to come back, but I need to be in the press office um, because... Um, I just I, I need a job now I need someone to recognize that I'm like got my head screwed on right and give me a job um, so there was some back and forth about whether they had space for me in the press office but it worked out in the end um, and so yeah so I was kind of there and I was applying for jobs for producers and theatres uh, while I was there and also just trying to sort of meet people and see what jobs there might be and a few people started saying well you should work in PR um this is this is clearly comes naturally to you and you should do that and I was like oh I don't know I, I thought it was going to be too creatively removed I didn't feel like I'd I wouldn't I, mean, I really loved that feeling of going I made this thing happen I put this thing on stage I you know sorted these things to make this actually happen and that felt like a big step away from that um but I thought I'd give it a try so I went um i I went and did a, I started an internship with a, a theatre theater PR company called Mobius. Um, and I was there for a few weeks before um, a comedy journalist mentioned that um, he knew someone that was looking for someone to work on comedy DVDs. So I took a three month contract at an agency doing comedy DVDs um, back in the, so this is, yeah, 2007. This is when comedy DVDs in the run up to Christmas were just absolutely huge. So we worked on lots of universals um comedy dvd releases um and that was kind of yeah that was my first step into doing pr for comedy specifically so i had a three-month contract and i ended up being at that company for five years um during which time i worked on tours for people like um i'm john bishop jason manford um and uh, we took on tim minchin while i worked there as well um and then i went freelance in 2011 um with just one client, Tim Minchin, um, I called him and said, I'm I'm doing this thing. Will you come with me? He said, yes. Um, and I, looking back, I kind of I didn't realize at the time what a huge deal it was. I kind of thought it was just the le- next logical step. But I was I was pretty young to be kind of going out on my own. And anyway, I had I had this one client and this kind of intention to put a list together for the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, which I did, and and I've been doing that ever since. So I, I that's what I do. I beginning of the year around January, I start putting my list together for the fringe, and then um, work on that, and then see what comes out of that. And and people that do well will then go off, go on tour, um, and or have London transfers. And and most of my work essentially comes out of the work that I do in Edinburgh. And you you mentioned Tim Minchin. Uh, if, for people who don't know Tim Minchin, I I don't know why you wouldn't know Tim Minchin. <laughs> He's one of the he's one of the biggest uh, comedians. He's from Australia, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and yeah. most recently, he's uh, he's the one who he brought Matilda, the reboot of Matilda, um, to stage. And I think he's involved in the writing of the musical, the music 
for the film as well that's just come out recently with Emma yeah Temple. yeah it's the same music so yeah so the, the stage show has been on in the west end for over it's around 10 years now and the and then he's also his new musical uh Groundhog Day has uh is, is, has reopened in London um just recently but yeah my work with him has always been on his live comedy so okay. um his yeah his his comedy tours um and DVDs and things like that so yeah we've always done the live comedy stuff there there are there are huge theater PR agencies that work on the the uh the West End shows yeah, Tim mentioned he ranks up there for me. He's one of my top five favorite musical comedians uh, of all time. It's like I've got him there with Bill Bailey, Bo Burnham, just right there. Literally, I'll go top three. Um, I mean, if you <laughs> top three is there, Bill Bailey, Bo, um, Tim mentioned Bo Burnham, uh, and just then they go Lonely Island and a whole bunch of other ones. But yeah, he's fantastic as a as a musical comedian, and it's great to see as you've you've demonstrated the sort of your love for the theatre, then segued into comedy, and then you've moved in that direction. And I was going to ask because obviously we talk a lot about films and TV shows on this uh, on this show. Um, we already talked about uh, American Sweethearts, and I was going to ask you about Flack. If you've ever seen the TV show Flack with Anna Paquin. I haven't. Okay. So again, you've, you've already mentioned that you don't deal with the public persona side of things. It's more about promoting uh, the the work of comedians, the, the actual artistic side of things, as opposed to dealing with, for example, I'm not saying Tim Minchin is going to do this, but hypothetically, if Tim Minchin were to call you and say, hey, uh, I've just woken up uh, in in Brighton and half my clothes are missing and I'm tied to a, to a pole. How do you get me out of this? Do you have any sort of situations with your comedians, with your clients? And I'm not saying you should mention any names because we're not breaking any news stories here. Uh, is that the aspect of the professional side of things that you deal with? Or when your client calls you up, you just say, that's not my area will hand off to these other people however if you're doing a stand-up show i'll i'll you know promote that one from the poll that you're handcuffed to yeah um so i think it it varies from client to client honestly like it during the edinburgh fringe especially there there is a certain level with some people of kind of emotional support like it's it's hard getting through that month like I am very happy to be someone's kind of I just need to talk to someone about this or you know that kind of support um I've never had anything that dramatic I do remember when I was at when I was at an agency and I worked within a team um that um I think it was the year before I joined one of the other uh one of the other um PRs in that team was in Edinburgh and a client who is now very, very famous, um, called her and said, uh, there is a mouse in my flat. What do I do? <laughs> and she said, I I don't know. That's not, <laughs> that's not you don't call me. I, I, think she was about, I think she was about 23. Like she was like a young girl. She was just, you know, PRing these shows. And she was like, I don't, this is not for me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was an amusing. I'm surprised um, her response wasn't just move. Leave the, the no. mouse now. The mouse now owns your apartment. Just leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Edinburgh accommodation, even even then, this is probably going back 20 years, but even then, Edinburgh accommodation, difficult to come by during the festival. So uh, yeah, so it's like, yeah, well, get the mouse to pay rent. That's essentially what it is. 
yeah you live with that mouse now make friends exactly um, so yeah I think yeah it really it really varies and it also varies a lot depending on what the rest of the team around that person looks like so I work with some people who have an agent they have a producer and they have me um and I have other clients who will take a show up to the friend fringe they're self-producing they're looking for an agent and I'm their like only representative within the industry and they might need a little bit more guidance on things that aren't necessarily press but things like would you just have a look at my poster um just for a second set of eyes and that kind of thing where a producer might do that if they had one but I'm very happy to kind of um yeah take a look at things for people if if it helps excellent excellent you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm I'm Marcus E. Ako and I'm producer Dave and we are uh speaking with uh, uh public relations for uh the for comedians and stand-up performers Flick Morris from Flick Morris PR. Uh, we've been talking about how she got into uh, PR work, how she's rep- representing various comedians who are doing their performances, especially at the Edinburgh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which this year, if I'm not mistaken, is running from the 4th of August to the 20th of August. You have a number of acts already going up, whom we've interviewed the last few weeks. Uh, I'm going to get you to give a shout out to a number of them in just a few seconds. And wh- while you're doing that, I'm going to also ask you, you talked about the fact that you started off doing um, comedy DVDs, we'll come back to that one as well. But let's talk about some of the acts that you've already got that are going up to Edinburgh. Um, so we we know we spoke about Harry Godmothers, uh, who are doing uh, currently doing a live, or they're going to do a, a run in London uh, from the 26th to 29th, or 27th to 29th, if I'm not mistaken. But then they're going up to Edinburgh for the full month. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, that's right. So they're taking Disney in drag. Uh, they've got those dates at the Aeronaut in Acton at the end of July. And then they're up to Edinburgh for the whole month with that show. They're also doing um, a half run from the 16th of August um, with their other show, Wet, uh, which is the women from the company. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, kind of a, a comedy cabaret um, show about female empowerment. Excellent. And that's fantastic. So no, I, I, I'm, I'm going to put you in a little bit of hot water now. Uh, which are your favorite? We've we've already talked about Harry Godmother, so that's great. So we'll exclude them. But which are your favorite acts? Which of your favorite clients are going up to Edinburgh um, this this year? I absolutely do not have favorite. <laughs> um, there is no, there is no way. Like that's yeah, that's I do have to be really, really careful about that. And actually, it's it's something that's it's difficult because I can kind of like yeah, I can give a shout out to a few shows and then and then some. But why was mine not mentioned? Um, I have I, the best thing to do actually is if I say I have twenty shows going up and I shout about all of them constantly <laughs> on my Twitter. Um, so the best thing if anyone wants to find out about my shows is to uh, is to follow me. I am Flick Morris on Twitter um, because yeah, essentially all of my clients at the moment are doing. Um, they are writing articles uh, for for websites. They are doing little Q and A's about their shows. They are doing podcasts. They're on radio shows. Like everything they do, I will be sharing, and that's like a perfect way to find out about those shows. Yeah, without naming more names, and I, I obviously will sort more chats over than you know. However, the the weeks go, um, but I have everything from pole dancing comedy to a queer horror comedy ventriloquist show um to obviously loads of stand-up as well uh, musical comedy character shows you know a-, a bit of everything so I think if people are heading up to the fringe and they're looking for recommendations like genuinely all of my shows 
I love them. I feel really, really passionate about the work that they're making. Um, so yeah, my Twitter, Flick Morris, is the best way to find out about all of them. That was very professionally handled. It just straight away, it's like I would have shot myself in the foot. I would have just gone, oh, you should go see this person and then this person and then all this person and then this person. And you're absolutely right. The next thing would be you'd get an email it's like, what about me? Do, do I not get a shout out? And then so you so anyone who's looking to go into PR, just follow what Flick Morris has just said. Just do not name check anybody at all. <laughs> Uh, just blanket blanket uh, promote everybody as you said on your twitter are you also on instagram and other um social media uh, networks or i am not yet active on others and i and i know i need to with the way twitter is going i need to uh, up my game on the others so yeah my accounts exist but i'm in uh, a terrible rut of uh, of just yeah everything everything goes on twitter and i need to make more effort with the others that's not a problem. You can do you, you transpose. And just as another social media expert uh, gave us advice, which we didn't follow at the beginning, and I always say this: you should you keep the uh, handles, the social media handles, consistent throughout all the uh, platforms that you're using. So uh, because we have on so on Twitter, STB underscore Resonance FM, and then on Instagram, we have Shoot the Breeze Show. And then on Facebook, it's Shoot the Breeze at Resonance 104.4 FM. And she was, I can't remember her name, but it's been ages. We need to get her back on the show. She just basically <laughs> said, you, what are you doing? That is completely Yes, you need to fix that. So that's great. Okay, so you're not talking about your current clients. We totally get that. But the comedy DVDs that you worked on, that's in the past, right? So you can't defend any of them. So can you give us your top five favorite comedy DVDs that you worked on? Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, all of all of Tim Inchin's obviously are up there. I, I have I've worked on all of his DVD releases, um, which was yeah right from his his first tour through to the the uh, the Heritage Orchestra show, um, and they're they're really fantastic. Um, I also I mean I, it's later than the it's later than the kind of uh, the 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 DVD boom, but I worked on uh, a DVD from Festival of the Spoken Nerd, which was really fun. Um, do you know Festival of the Spoken Nerd? Um, no, I, I think I've heard it in passing because, uh, but, but I haven't, I haven't dev, dived into it yet. So yeah, like they're, they're so they do science comedy. So it's Helen Arney, Steve Mould, and Matt Parker, uh, stand-up mathematician Matt Parker. Um, and it's yes, like really geeky, fun stuff. So yeah, they had a DVD a few years ago. That was really fun. Um, I mean, I the DVDs we worked on were like mainstream stuff oh well John Bishop we did John Bishop actually that was a two entertain release um and that was fantastic I mean he's just uh, John's an incredible stand-up um Excellent. and yes that was really fun but yeah we worked on we worked on titles from you know Michael McIntyre and Peter Kay and you know big big stuff but I, I definitely agree with you. Um, just to mention, fantastic. If you can, go check out his work. It just It's brilliant. In my head right now, while I'm talking to you, I'm playing Context, which is one of his with songs from one of his recent uh, albums. I say recent albums. One of his albums. It's just playing in the background of my head. I'm gonna As soon as we finish this interview, I'm going to go YouTube. Uh, Tim You're going to go and binge a lot of, uh, of Tim's comedy songs. You can't help but do it. It's it's amazing. Now, just before we just before you go, um, you've been doing some work with Angel Comedy, and I wanted to sort of see if if that if um that's something that you might want to speak upon just before we wrap up. So, Angel Comedy, have you been you've been working with them recently? 
Yeah, so I it's kind of been an always like an on off um thing. Like the team are so brilliant, and what they've achieved with the Bill Murray is just amazing. So this is um their comedy pub, um which was crowdfunded uh, a number of years ago, um so that they could yeah get the license on this this pub in in Islington and and make it a, a specialized comedy venue. Um so yeah, I worked with them on the launch of it way back then, and then since then they're kind of when they do big kind of charity events so they'll do like food bank drives um and they get loads of comedians to go down and and you know they have could they have comedy performed from the roof they have street parties and they get they'll get some local choirs down and they just make a really like fun party atmosphere um and and with a kind of yeah a charity um, objective of kind of raising money and collecting food for for food banks and they're just yeah trying to do good stuff um but it's also just a great place for comedians to go and try out try out stuff they have great mixed lineup shows and then you can you can book the space to do your own your solo stuff as well um and yeah they're just they're a brilliant team and what they're achieving is is very special excellent uh you've been listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e Ako. and i'm producer dave and we have been speaking with Flick Morris from Flick Morris PR. She's been talking a lot about the work that she does as public relations for stand-up comics and uh, performers. Uh, if you want to follow her work as well as her, the work of her clients, especially those who are going up to Edinburgh, Flick, can you give us your social media tag again? So, yeah, I'm just Flick Morris on Twitter. Excellent. Uh, Flick, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, yeah, we wish all of your clients a massive success at the Edinburgh Fringe and uh, especially Harry Godmothers. We love the idea of the Disney and drag. In the interview that we did with them, with Jay West, uh, we were, we, you, that, their show is going to blow up into a franchise. It's yeah, going to be the is, next MCU. So yeah. It is such, it is such a fun show. Um, yeah, I really think they're going to have a wonderful. They did. I think she probably told you about Brighton, but like, yeah, they had the they had such fun at Brighton Fringe, and I think it's yeah, it's just going to be the same, the same but bigger in Edinburgh. So yeah, hoping hoping for huge things for them. Excellent. We, 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 same thing for them and for yourself as well. We hope you, you know, blood massively. And obviously, as a PR, you're supposed to be behind the scenes. You're not supposed to be in front of the scenes. Thank you very much for taking the time to come and talk to us on air about the work that you do, the strings that you pull in the background. I still see you as the Billy Crystal of uh, com uh, comedy PR. So uh, I'm, I'm going to have to rewatch that film to find out whether I just think that's a compliment or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's a compliment. I, I didn't say you were the, you know, you were from Flack because with Flack, that's, that's really different. That's very seedy. And, uh, and, and you may take offense to that one. The Billy Crystal <laughs> should be fine. It should be good. But thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you for having me. That was our conversation with Flick Morris. Great to have her on the show, and we'll definitely have her back on as soon as we can. Talk more about uh, her customers. I'll see if I can her customers, her clients. We'll, uh, I'll try and get her to the next time we talk to her to see if she can tell us more about her favorite clients because I really wanted to get that. Wanted to to say who her favorite client is, but you know me, <laughs> I like to to dig and stir things up. I <laughs> um, want to thank you very much for having, you know, 
taking the time to listen to our show. Uh, without you, I would just be a guy ranting into his uh, camera and ranting into his, his Zoom with producer Dave held hostage and listen to my theories about different TV shows and films and whatnot. And we also want to thank Resonance again for not listening to our show because if they did, they would have cancelled us long time ago. You've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm still a producer there. Hey, thank you very much for listening. And speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.